Our first scripture reading this morning is going to sound familiar to you. It is verses 1 through 5 of Psalm, sorry, Psalm 40. Uh, I take this as a sign that uh, we are meant to pay attention to what God has said in Psalm 40. So Psalm 40, verses 1 through 5. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord, my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. This is the word of the Lord. Last week, we started talking about Philippians chapter 4, and we saw um, Paul give what I called last week the prescription for anxiety. And that's a big statement, and uh, it's hard to kind of make a statement like that and not go, well, we got to keep talking about it because there's so much here. Uh, and so I said, we get, we're going to stretch this out. We're going to do a continuation because there's just so much in this passage in terms of anxiety and, and, and what God is, is, is telling us we can, we can do uh, with, with the things around us and, and, and how we struggle. So I, I have to, I have to uh, tell you something as we, as we get started uh, that I feel like I'm on a mission from God to tell you a practical piece of advice. I don't know, maybe this is my thing. I've told you before about this, and, and believe me, this won't be the last time I tell you about it either. And so, are you ready for my good piece of advice? Here it is. As we're, as we're talking about anxiety, the first thing I can say is this. This. This is just a practical piece. I'll keep telling you, I promise. But so I just want to remind you that anxiety rates in our country are, are off the charts, unbelievably high everywhere. Guess what else is also incredibly high in usage everywhere? Social media. Study after study shows that anxiety rates are absolutely correlated with social media usage, which, again, why we're letting eight-year-olds get on it is beyond me. Don't, please, don't do that. They're not ready for that. But here's what we know. The average American uses social media for 147 minutes a day. Think about that. That's two and a half hours of every day for the average American. 147 minutes. That's 17 and a half hours a week. Right? And you guys are better at math than me, so you can keep going with this. That's a lot of time. 17 hours a week? That's a part-time job of sp- social media. You think it doesn't affect you? Study after study confirms the more you use social media, the more anxiety you feel. 64% of people who use social media at that average or higher experience anxiety that, that we, we believe is correlated. 
Only 30% of people who don't have social media feel that same level of anxiety. So while anxiety is everywhere, it's worse the more social media you use. And the rates get higher with anxiety. Satisfaction with life, your body image, uh, your overall peace, they all suffer in direct correlation with social media. So you want to be more satisfi- satisfied with life? I hope so, because we all want, should want that. Then stop. Stop. Use it less. Use it less. Use it less. I'll just keep banging that drum, I promise. But I'm just telling you, we're getting more and more unhappy, and it has to do with social media. Okay, so the next thing I want to tell you as we kind of get into this, uh, after banging that drum, is, is that I am not a mental health professional. I'm not a licensed counselor. I'm not a licensed therapist. I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a psychiatrist. But I feel like it's relevant to you for, for you to give you a little bit of my uh, mental health perspective as we kind of continue and talk through some of this a little bit. I, th- I, think, it's, I think it's relevant. So I, I've, I've come to believe that our mental health is, is just like our, our physical health. Um, you can do things to be, uh, to be healthier, and, and those things are generally good. For instance... If somebody came and said, hey, I'm really wanting to have better physical health, there would, there would be advice that, that we could all give them, right? And it would, it would be things like, you know, eat healthier, get plenty of rest, drink lots of water, exercise, stop smoking if you smoke. Those are general health things, right? Um, however, there are physical problems that happen even if you drink lots of water and get lots of rest and, and uh, you know, are a good exerciser and, and, you know, eat only healthy things all the time. We all know and we've all experienced our own physical health that have nothing to do with that. So you can have heart problems and be the healthiest person on the planet. And, and, and I would say mental health is the same. Generally speaking, there are a lot of things that you can do to be healthier in terms of, you know, your mental state and your emotional state. There's lo- there are lots of things you can do for that. However, just like your heart can have problems, you can have problems with your mental health that need a doctor. So if somebody came to me and they said, hey, I'm having chest pains right now, I'm not going to tell them to go eat a carrot and get some exercise. I'm just not, that's not what I'm going to tell them to do, right? You would say, call somebody, go to the doctor now, you need help, okay? Go get some help. That's what we would say. Likewise, if there's a mental emergency, same thing applies. I'm not going to say, hey, you know what, I really th- want to talk to you about cutting down your social media usage, and I really want to, let me start giving you some, some, some to-do tips and pointers, no, I would say, you need to go get some help. You need to go to a doctor. The, the thing that's interesting about that, right, is, is the stigma that's attached to it. Uh, there's no stigma in saying, yeah, I had to go to the heart doctor the other day. I've got an AFib or arrhythmia or whatever, right? They had to shock me back into... There's no, there's no social stigma attached to, to, to that. You know, in, in the same way, you know, at no fault of her own, Beth had to have her appendix out this year. There's no social stigma with saying, hey, look at you, ha-ha, your appendix didn't work right. What's wrong with you? 
But I think we do that with our mental health. And, and there are times that it's okay to, have, to go to the doctor, and there should not be a stigma with that. So, so again, I'm not a mental health professional, but I just want you to have a little bit of my perspective as we get into this, some of this stuff. There are some things dealing with anxiety that might be a physical issue that, that need a doctor. And, and, and I'm not a professional at that, so I'm going to stay away from that arena. I'm going to talk about some of this other stuff, this common sense stuff that we see from God's Word as, as, as truth, as useful for overall general mental health and anxiety. Because I think that's in this passage. But that's not to say, oh, don't ever go get other kind of help, because it might be needed. Does that make sense? Okay. And, 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 and don't worry about the stigma of that. If you need a doctor, you go see a doctor. Okay. So this morning, we do go to God's truth. The one who made us, who knows us, and he knows what's best for us. And so his word doesn't lie to us. It doesn't mislead us. It doesn't send us in the wrong direction. And so we, we go now to, to Scripture to see his words through the Apostle Paul. So let's pray now as we go to, to God's word. Father, we come to you knowing that you are the author of truth and the author of wisdom, and we need your help. God, would you... Uh, teach us, would you instruct us, would you inspire us, would you change our hearts and minds, would you help us to be more like Jesus in what we read and what we learn and, and, and do and say now. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we are in Philippians chapter 4. We started uh, last week. Uh, through that, we're going to read verses 4 through 9. So some of this is a repetition of last week, but it's a, it's a continuation uh, on, on into it. So Philippians 4, verses 4 through 9. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your re- requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. All right, so last week we, we kind of talked about the first part of this passage, and, and we saw what, what I will call the, the, the two prescriptions, for, the two first prescriptions for anxiety. And, and I don't normally do this, so I apologize in advance if this bugs you. I don't normally do this, but I, but I noticed something this week and, and as I was thinking through this passage, and I just I couldn't help myself. It just came out of me. So, last week we talked about priorities and praise, okay? You'll see a theme coming here in a second. Priorities and praise is kind of what we talked about last week. Priorities meaning uh, when we seek God first, we realize... That the, the other things that we accidentally turn into idols, they need to take a back seat. Okay, so, so as we prioritize God, some of the things that work us up and get us stressed out, they, they fade and they get into their proper place where they ought to be instead. Okay, so that's the priorities thing, and, 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 and that begins to, they, those things stop, stop occupying our hearts and our minds as much as they can. 
Okay, and then, so the second piece is praise, meaning learning to find joy in God above all else. We, we can have joy no matter the circumstance because the goodness of God is always worthy of our joy. So no matter what, when everything else is falling apart, Paul would say, but keep your eyes fixed on God because he's still worthy of praise and there's still joy to be had because of what he has done for you, because of who he is, because of how much he loves you. That can always be the case. So we can always praise him. We can always find joy. So those are, those are our two from last week, our prioritize or priorities and praise. Okay, so as we move into this, this week, into this, further into this passage, uh, we'll get to what I would call the, the third prescription. I'll call it patience. Look at verse 5. It says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Some of your translations may use, take that word reasonableness, and it may say something like gentleness. Meaning, the world should see you as a believer decline retaliation even when it looks like you deserve it. Even when you feel like you've got the, the right to retaliate, the right to get retribu- revenge or retribution or whatever, you decline that. So, the, so you might call that g- uh, gentleness, you might call it reasonableness. That's what he's getting at here is turning down the opportunity to get revenge. To show patience in the, in, in the face of persecution or, or wrongdoing. When somebody wrongs you, you're still having gentleness in that. In that. So I'm calling that patience for this morning. You are patient to let God take care of all of that. I don't know how he's going to make all that right. I don't know how he's going to get justice in that area. I, I don't know. That's up to him. That's his area. It's not mine. That's, that's what we're talking about here. You don't have to get revenge because of Christ. You don't have to retaliate because of what the Lord has done for you. Patience. Okay, so we're moving on to verse 6. This great, well-known passage, this great verse. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer in supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Okay, priorities, praise, patience. The fourth one, you maybe guessed it, prayer, prayer. Now make sure we add that, the, the phrase that's, that's put here by Paul. It's prayer with thanksgiving. It's not just prayer, it's prayer with thanksgiving. So when you feel worry or anxiety, Paul says we're to replace that with prayer. Throughout Scripture, we've seen it over and over again. We're supposed to be people of prayer, praying at all times about all things, about all our circumstances. Always praying, having this ongoing conversation with God. That's what he's talking about here. Prayer helps us take our eyes off of our our problem and onto the one who can handle our problems. And, and, and Paul would say that, that prayer thing needs to become an active habit in our lives where our first instinct is to pray. That needs to be our first reaction. Our first instinct is to pray. Immediately in those kinds of situations, our first reaction should be, I need to talk to the Lord about this. I want to talk to the Lord about this thing. See, prayer 
recenters our thoughts and it, it, it helps us keep the right perspective and the right priorities. It reminds me when I pray that I am not God and that I can do nothing without him. Now, that Thanksgiving piece is important because we're not just talking about prayer as a, as a whiner. Prayer as an ungrateful person just yelling at God, fix this, do that. I'm unhappy. Take care of it. That's not prayer with Thanksgiving, is it? That's, that's, that's demanding and whining, and that's not what Paul is, is saying here. To, to replace anxiety, it's keeping our eyes focused on the one who can solve our problems, focus on the one who is the most important. Prayer changes our perspective, and, and, and it takes us to his feet and says, you're God and I'm not. And you've, you've done so much, and so I'm coming to you with a heart of thanksgiving. That's a very different type of thing than, than, than whining, and, and, and that's not what Paul wants for us. So, so prayer with thanksgiving. Okay, the next part I want us to see is in verse Eight, and we're going to come back to 7, so, so we won't forget it. But verse 8, it says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So if you're going to allow me, if you'll just humor me with this whole P thing, I'm going to call this one ponder. Ponder. Right? We ponder things that are praiseworthy. We ponder things that are of God. We, we ponder where we see the grace of God all around us. And, and, and I just have to say, there's so many things in this, this category. Um, I, I'm convicted as I, as I read this and I think about it because things that are lovely, things that are beautiful, things that are true, things that are pure, there's so many things things where we can see the grace of God in the world around us. Some of you maybe love nature, and you see it in trees and mountains and birds and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. Or maybe you see it in beautiful music, Mozart and Beethoven and Bach, and there's things that are true and lovely and praiseworthy in all of those kinds of things. And I'm not an art person at all, but paintings and sculptures and all of that there's so much that's commendable and excellent. And, and, and Paul says, think about those things rather than some of the other stuff. Stinking thinking is, I forget who says that. But stinking thinking, right, is what we can all become guilty of. Getting, getting down into the mud and the muck and just staying there and, and just being unhappy and thinking about terrible things. And, and, and Paul says, that's not the prescription for anxiety. That's not what the people of God are supposed to look like. If, if God made art and music, then there are redeeming things in them. We should see things of God in his creation. And, and, and so I, I just want to show you a couple of examples that, that have, have hit me recently as I've been thinking about this and kind of convicted of it. And, and, and so I'm going to give you one that came immediately to my mind, and you'll forgive me. Um, but I want to introduce you to somebody. His name is Evan Carter. Does anybody recognize this guy, Evan Carter? A few baseball fans might, okay? Evan Carter, uh, he is 21 years old, which is crazy to think about. Uh, but he got, uh, he got called up from the minor leagues uh, to the Texas Rangers just a couple of weeks before the playoffs started. And he was really just supposed to, like, fill in for somebody who was injured. But guess what? He got hot, and he started hitting, and he kept hitting, and he became the best hitter on the Rangers and became the he- best hitter in baseball for a while. 
and he's 21 years old, no experience in the, in the majors, just an incredible story. But what's cool about him is, is he, he really is involved in FCA, and he's a Christ follower, and, and, and he just said, look, I'm seeing this as an opportunity for ministry. And so he wears this shirt everywhere. Whenever he's in batting practice, whenever he's warming up, everywhere he goes, he has one of these shirts. He conveniently had it made in Rangers colors, which I appreciate. Um, he was doing World Series interviews on national television with this T-shirt on. And I think that's praiseworthy. That's commendable. He's using the opportunity given to him, his platform, to share the hope that he has in Christ. That's a praiseworthy thing. That's commendable. Okay, so uh, I learned about this next one um, just this week. So you guys will recognize this person, probably one of the more famous people on the whole planet, I think. I'm not a, I've never been a huge fan, I'll admit, that I'm not like a, but that's Mick Jagger, right? That's, you guys know him, Mick, Mick, Mick Jagger. Um, he is 80 years old and still making rock and roll. 80 years old now. Um, and and uh, guess what? These guys just released a new album, like just in the last couple of weeks, months, I think. Uh, I hadn't really heard about it until this week, but... Um, Guess what the most popular song on this new album that, that they put out is? It's called Sweet Sounds of Heaven. Sweet Sounds of Heaven. It's, it's a song that Mick Jagger, uh, the you know, famous atheist, has, has been known for his whole career of kind of making fun of, of the church and Bible and all that kind of stuff. It's a song that he wrote, and he performs with Lady Gaga. Right, Yeah. But the song, if you look at the lyrics, it's actually a song about longing for the things of God. And, and there have been some quiet rumors in the last couple of years that maybe as he's, you know, been in his 70s, that maybe Mick Jagger has, is kind of realizing there's more to life. And, and some have said maybe he has, has, has come to faith. Um, this song makes a lot of people think that that's probably true, that that probably has happened. Um, a, f- a few of the lyrics uh, in the song go like this. Praise the Father, praise the Son, hear the sound of the drums. I'm not a musician, so it, it was a whole lot, he does it a whole lot better than that. But and later in the same song, he says, eat the bread, drink the wine, because I'm finally quenching my thirst. Isn't that an interesting thing to say? There are articles all around, if you get on the the internet and look, from Rolling Stones fans who are saying things like, has the guy who famously said, I can't get no satisfaction, finally come to a place where he's finding his thirst quenched, he's finding his satisfaction in the Lord? What an interesting conversation for a rock and roll band to, you know, now be coming around. Is that happening? It's interesting. Something for us to think about. And, and here's another one from this week. Does anybody recognize this person? Anybody know who this is? Yeah, some of you guys know who this is. This is Kat Von D. Uh, and she used to be famous as a tattoo artist. She was on, I think, TLC, a couple different ink shows, right? And um, she's kind of a punk. She's kind of a hardcore person. And, and it was very um, polarizing as a character. Well... Kat Von D has led quite an interesting life, um, 
but she officially, you know, she kind of made fun of religion, but, and then she kind of got into uh, Wicca, and she became a, 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 a recognized witch, and she got into occult practices, and was putting curses on people, and doing all kinds of weird, weird stuff. Um, well, just this week, it came out that she had been baptized, and she shared this uh, just, just recently. She moved from L.A. She now lives in Indiana in a small farm town, and has come to faith. And you can find her, she's got some incredible uh, interviews sharing her testimony. And, and, I, and I watch some of them. And, and they're, I would say they're legit. They're real. They're praiseworthy. They're things where you go, what is happening? How did, how did a Wiccan witch who was cursing people come, come to this? Th- this is stuff to think about. This is praiseworthy and commendable and beautiful. And, and then just yesterday, I saw this one. A, a person who I did not really know who she was. Um, she is a, f- a well-known, famous intellectual by the name of Ayan Hirsi Ali. And, and she grew up as a, a, a militant Muslim. And then wrote about how she left that and became this famous kind of academic atheist. And, and has, you know, written for years, a, a published author, and, and kind of a, you know, at all the different conferences, just this well-known atheist. Well, this was yesterday. She published this article, Why I Am Now a Christian. Atheism Can't Equip Us for Civilizational War. And the article is fascinating, but it, it just talks about how all these things that she pursued has left, have left her empty, and she has now encountered, as she would call, the living God, and, 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 and encountered him through Jesus. And, and so she's kind of going, hey, if you've been following my path, you need to stop and reconsider and find hope in Christ. And I, I, this is a shock to the, you know, she works at Stanford. It's, you know, kind of the high-level academic world. It's been a shock just in the last, whatever, 24 hours. I, I share all these with you because, um, I, first I want to just tell you, God doesn't give up on people. <laughs> I, I, think it's, I think it's good for us to remember that. God doesn't give up on people. And, and if he is in the process of, of, of changing the heart of Mick Jagger and Kat Von D and uh, Ayan, who's he not given up on that we know, that, you, that is in your life? So that's kind of the first thing. But, but second, I just want to remind you, God is at work. He doesn't stop working. And, and, and the headlines around us, they're meant to make us feel like everything's going terrible. God is still at work. Things are happening all around us, things that we can't see. God is at work. People are learning that they need Jesus through totally unpredictable, unknown ways. It's happening. And third, I just want to say these are commendable things. These are praiseworthy. These are beautiful. These are true. And and, and all the, the things that Paul has said it, it does our hearts and minds good to think about things like these. You, you and I watch a lot of stuff and we read a lot of stuff. And, and, and they're, they're things that aren't worthy of our time. They're not worthy of our emotional, you know, buy-in. They, they bring us anxiety, as we've talked about. They take our eyes off of Christ. The statement, garbage in, garbage out, is true. God knows it. That's why he says things like this. Keep your minds in a place of praiseworthy things. Don't go down there. Garbage in, 
garbage out. Instead of spending 147 minutes a day looking at mostly junk, focus on things that are truth. Think about things that are beautiful. Think about things that are praiseworthy. Things of purity, of excellence. Look for God's grace all around you. Where is God doing something? Where do you see him at work? Where do you see his grace around you? That's what we're supposed to be pondering. Okay, last thing. Paul says in verse 9, What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. Here we go again. Practice what we have learned. Paul is specifically talking about in relation to what they've seen in him. He's, he's come to them and said, look, I've been a minister to you. I've shared the gospel and I've lived it out. I want you to practice what you have seen and heard because they're the, they're the things of the gospel. I want you to practice all of this. Practice it, meaning live it out. You've, you've seen me share the gospel and live it. I want you to be people who practice living the gospel. Gospel-centered people. And so this is what makes uh, this message, Paul's message, different than, than, you know, the message of somebody like the, the Stoic philosophers or, or Bobby McFerrin's Don't Worry, Be Happy, we saw last week. Many, many philosophies say things like, hey, think good thoughts. Think good thoughts. This is not the power of positive thinking. Do not hear me say that. What we're talking about this morning is not the power of positive thinking. Rather, it is about surrendering everything, including our minds, to the gospel. Giving all of ourselves to the gospel, including what we see and hear and think about and talk about. Things that are of of Jesus. To ponder the the truth of Christ and, and his perfection and how it should lead us on into wanting to be like that and practicing living that out. Living out his gospel. Christ is to be the standard of truth. Honor, justice, purity, beauty, praiseworthiness. Christ is the standard. And so, so Paul is saying that a Christ follower is, is to change their thinking. You're supposed to be changing your thinking and, and making sure that your mind is changed into daily living. You're being transformed in, in, into what it makes you. Not just being good for virtue's sake, but living in a way that we offer our lives to Christ or as we live out the gospel, this good news that changes everything. Christ is supposed to be the Lord of our hearts and minds and our eyes and our ears. And then he is supposed to be the Lord of our hands and our feet as we live for him in all that we do. Okay, so if you're taking notes, priorities, praise, patience, prayer with thanksgiving, pondering the things of God, and practicing the things of God. And that finally leads us to what we see in verses 7 at the end end of verse 9. The peace of God. All those P's lead to peace. You see see what's going on here? Let's, let's read verses 7 and 9 together. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And then moving to the end of verse 9. And the God of peace will be with you. M- most scholars would agree that, w- that what we're looking at here is, is a cause and effect kind of statement. 
These are the outcomes when you pursue this. You see, see I think there's all kinds of peace that, that can come from all kinds of, of things. You know, there, there is a kind of peace that comes from financial well-being. There is. There is a kind of peace that comes from cleanliness and, and having all of your things in orders and, and, and order. And hopefully you've experienced that, right? You, you know, wow, all my dishes are washed and cleaned. Whew, there's a peace that comes with that, isn't there? There is, there is a, a peace and a calm that comes when you have all your homework done and, and you're ready for the test that's coming tomorrow. There is a peace that's there. There is a peace that comes when you leave on Friday at work and you know that your desk, all your to-do items have been finished, right? have been responsible and hardworking. There is a peace that comes with that, isn't there? There is a peace that comes from dealing with the relational conflict in your life, with your spouse, with your friends and family. And there is a peace that's there. But all of those are temporary, aren't they? You have peace about your dishes until you don't. Until somebody puts a, a dirty fork in your sink and now you've got to start all over again. Until you find a sock in the floor. Where did that come from? I just swept in here. It's temporary. And I had financial peace until, until, until the stock market, until my car broke down, until it's all temporary. Peace can go away. But when we talk about the peace of God, we're talking about something different. Notice that Paul says it's, it's something that goes beyond our, our kind of, you know, normal ideas of peace. He says it's beyond our understanding. It's beyond common sense. It's beyond what we can explain or how it works. It's ongoing. It's, it, it's, it's deep. Why? Because it's found in Christ. Notice he says that. It's the peace of God in Christ. And that makes it an ongoing, eternal peace. A peace that Jesus says will never leave us or forsake us because it's in Him. So we're talking about something much bigger. A peace that lasts. A peace that is, that is all-encompassing. See, anxiety is, is one of the, the biggest issues that you and I face in our lives. It causes all kinds of problems. And, and we could sit here and we could talk about all kinds of practical things to do in this area. But more than all of that, there's only one physician who made us and who knows us, who loves us. And, and, and because of the promised Holy Spirit, Paul can say that the peace of God will always be with us. And that's why he is the God of peace. He is with us. To, to find the peace that you long for. To silence the worries that keep you awake at night. What you need is, is nothing less than God himself. As your friend, as your father, as an ever-present protector. And Christ as the seal, as the savior of all of that. And, and so when that is true, then we can train ourselves to always go back through, through these things, we can train ourselves about our priorities and our praise and our patience and our prayer with thanksgiving and, and pondering the things of God and, and practicing the things of Jesus. And, and, and through all of that, we learn to find peace in the one who loved us and gave himself for us. Let's pray together.
Father, we don't just need temporary peace. So we don't need just money. We don't just need better physical health. We don't just need relational health and, and tidiness and responsibility. And None of those are lasting. All of those fade. We need something eternal. We need something that can truly be a firm foundation when all of it around us is slippery and muddy and temporary. Father, we need Christ. A constant source of peace. And so in that, will you train us? Will you train us what it looks like to live out a passage like this? And how, how we can overcome anxiety when the things in our life show up as we know they will. As they do every day. God, we need a peace bigger than our circumstances. God, help us to know you, to love you, to find our trust in Christ as our, as our all in all, as our Savior. We would truly have a peace that passes understanding. God, we need you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.